The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Living Natural Today, out with toxins, in with your health. Your host is Teresa Jungling. Although not a doctor, Teresa's extensive research enabled her to take control of her health after unexplainable health symptoms began taking a toll on her life. What Teresa has learned and what will be discussed with experts on today's show will undoubtedly help you too. Join us now for an hour that could quite literally change your life. Now, here's Teresa. Hello and welcome to Living Natural Today, Out with Toxins, In with Your Health, where we come every week to share resources for minimizing toxins in order to live a healthier lifestyle. I'm your host, Teresa Jungling, and I'm excited to be here with you today. I'm someone who's passionate about toxins in our food, environment, personal care products, homes, and more, because they've harmed my own health, and I want to inform you so you don't go down the same road that I did. Now today I'm excited to have a great guest with me to discuss a topic that's near to my heart and I know it's near to hers too, eating gluten-free. Christine Voorhees is with the National Foundation for Celiac Awareness. After more than four years enduring ill health and a compromised quality of life, Kristen was diagnosed with celiac disease in 2007. While she had recently graduated with a BA in communications and was already motivated to enter the healthcare field to make a difference in the lives of those navigating the complex medical system, Her diagnosis of celiac disease further inspired her passion to make an impact. Two years later, she completed a master's in health communication and joined the National Foundation for Celiac Awareness's team, where she now serves as the director of healthcare initiatives. In 2012, Kristen was appointed as a special government employee patient representative for the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, and she resides in Philadelphia. So thank you for joining me today, Kristen. I appreciate you coming on to discuss this important topic. Absolutely, Teresa. Thank you so much for for, for, the, for the invitation and the time um, this afternoon as well. We're excited. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm grateful for the work that um, organizations like yours, you're a part of, and, and others are doing to help educate and provide resources for those of us who need to, to eat gluten-free. And, and just um, before we get started, for me personally, you know, I, I used to eat wheat bread and pasta my whole life, and, and I tell you, I, I loved it. I loved bread. Um, however, a few years ago, I started to get severe reactions after eating wheat, even to the point that my throat swells up now. So needless oh, wow. to say, I, I, I avoid it at all costs with wheat. Um, and I, I know at the time, um, I, I'm overwhelmed. I'm sure that you can experience the same thing that, um, when we start eating gluten-free, it's, it's overwhelming and it, and it can, um, it just is a lot to move to a gluten-free lifestyle. And I remember shopping for gluten-free food back a few years ago. And, and thankfully, there's a lot more resources today and more options, but it's still so important to, to continue educating. So, um, so that's why I'm just so glad that you're here today. So we'll go ahead and just dive right into the, to the topic now. And um, if great. Yeah. To start off, can you just um, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your story about um, celiac disease and, and eating gluten-free and maybe even... Um, some challenges you might have 
um, experienced trying to find gluten-free food along the way as you've been on this journey for a few years now? Yeah, um, I, I, for sure. So um, I've been diagnosed with celiac disease now for a little over seven years. Um, back when I was, uh, I was, I was still in, in high school and I was getting pretty sick. Um, I had lots of, of GI issues. I was diagnosed with IBS. Um, I was diagnosed with acid reflux. I was fed lots of, of different medications, and all of which were not working. And I went away to college um, and eventually went through about seven or eight doctors over the course of four years, um, the last of which t- told me that I was crazy and that everything was in my head. You know, I had traveled to, to, to Italy to study abroad for college um, and felt horrible there. And looking back now, it's really funny to, to think about all the signs, what they were pointing towards. And the physician who actually ultimately diagnosed me did one of the worst things initially, um, which our country is seeing a lot of now, which is that as a physician, he recommended that I just go gluten-free. Mm-hmm. So, Teresa, I, I'm sure that, 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 that you're well aware, um, given your own personal experience, how important it is to be eating gluten um, when you're tested for celiac disease. And, and there's a lot of, of, of self-diagnosis going on right now. And, and so that was the path he started me down. And so, you know, I, as a college student, what do you think about when you think of, of, of gluten? You think about easy things like beer and, and pizza and, and pasta. And so I, I cut out those things for about a month and didn't really notice any big side effects or, or improvements. Um, I was still having a lot of, of, of digestive issues. I was extremely tired. There were days that I essentially couldn't walk because not to have, not, 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 not to, not to be too TMI on you, but my bowel movements weren't regular. And mm-hmm. so I essentially wasn't having any, so it was very hard to walk. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, at that point in, in, in your life, um, you know, it's, you're, you're giving up your whole social experience and social network. And I wasn't really noticing um, an improvement. And so after a month, I went back, back on the diet, or I'm sorry, went back on a, a regular diet. I was diagnosed with something called um, H. pylori. Which is um, which is associated with, with ulcers. After a huge round of antibiotics, I felt immediately better, and then about four months later, everything came back. And finally, it was that very same physician who initially told me to go gluten free, who ultimately tested me for celiac disease as an afterthought. And so I was diagnosed, um, you know, as a result. And when you ask about some of the the difficulties finding gluten-free food or, you know, what were those experiences or emotions I went through, Mm -hmm. Teresa, as I'm sure, um, you know, you can say on your own, having this type of of, of diagnosis at first comes very much as a sense of relief. And the academic literature that, that we have for celiac disease really showcases that relief is one of the foremost emotions that that diagnosed patients will experience. But what isn't highlighted so often, or I don't think gets the the, the attention it it needs in our media um, and and society today, is the toll it takes on your psychological and emotional well-being and health. 
you know, this is, this is something that impacts you for the rest of your life, day in and day out. It affects how you dine out with friends and family. It affects how you go out on dates. It, you know, it, it affects um, just traveling, the ability for you to hang out with colleagues when eating lunch, really simple things that I don't think people think about all that often and, and how it integrated food is in, in, in your life. And so when you have this diagnosis, you're kind of just thrown in and it's almost like you immediately need to make all these changes um, without the right guidance. That's hard to do. That's right. And I, you've touched on so many different things that I would love to discuss further there, but I, I can't imagine as a college student having to um, start changing to a gluten-free lifestyle. It's just, I know how difficult it was for me as a, a little bit older adult, but um, I remember back in the college days, you know, going to the dining rooms and, and trying to, and fortunately today, I think a lot of more colleges are starting to offer the options, but um, back in the day, they, they weren't really there. So, but um, just so we can get a little bit more background on you and, and just some um, the National Foundation for Celiac Awareness. Can can you tell us a little bit about the foundation and your role within the organization? Absolutely. So NFCA, we are a national nonprofit patient ad- advocacy organization. We were established 11 years ago by our president and CEO. Her name is Alice Bast. Al- Alice has um, a very, uh, very tragic Story. So she actually had been, missed, uh, had been un- undiagnosed with celiac disease for a number of years and had about three miscarriages, um, a stillbirth, and ultimately gave birth to a two-pound baby. And, and the two-pound b- 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 baby is now a senior I- I- in college, so, so she's thrived. But what she later found out was that all of this was due to undiagnosed celiac disease. And it was actually her veterinarian, if you can believe it, who suggested that that, that that was the diagnosis. And so that really spurred her on a path to want to make lives better for people who were suffering, you know, needlessly um, across the, the country, all because of a very simple change in, in diet. And I don't mean simple to change as the, gluten for free, as the gluten for free diet is such a easy thing to do because it's definitely not. But, you know, it's a diagnosis that, that that starts with a blood test. So she was really compelled to, to, to um, put her passion into that. And so since then, we've been around for 11 years, and we've really thrived and grown. And um, she founded NFCA on, on a social entrepreneurial business model. So a lot of what we do is we work to leverage industry to make changes to improve the patient's life. So it's not necessarily about making the celiac disease patient fit into a regular world, but changing the environment and changing the world they live in so it's better for them. Um, Do you have any questions um, about that, Teresa, or do you want me to go on a little bit further? Yeah, if you want to tell us a little bit more about the foundation that would be fine because I after this I, I do want to dive into you know what is celiac disease and what is gluten you know as we're we're discussing these things so yeah sure yep. so the organization we we've, we've grown significantly over over the, over the past few years and we are divided into two program areas and the first program area is, is focused on the gluten free industry so we work with food service operators and and, and establishments 
We have great partners and, and great alliances, including the NRA or the National Restaurant Association. And we've been able to make headway with a program we call GREAT. So GREAT stands for Gluten-Free Restaurant Education, or I'm sorry, Gluten-Free Resource Education Awareness and Training. And GREAT Kitchens and GREAT Schools, Colleges, and Camps is, is an online program that helps re- uh, restaurant managers, chefs, front of house, back of house, all understand about the medical necessity of a gluten-free diet. Um, we've also worked with big corporations like Wegmans and Whole Foods and Walmart to put gluten-free food on the shelves so that people have access to affordable products. So that, that's half of our organization. The other half of our organization um, is where I am. It, it is focused on providing really engaged programs to patients. We focus on diagnosis and we focus on improving quality of life. So, you know, our, our mission is, is to drive diagnosis and we do that through educating family members about their risk for celiac disease. And I'm sure you'll, you'll be asking about this. But a part of the information about celiac disease is that it's genetic, and most people don't really understand that and don't understand that their moms, dads, siblings all have a significantly increased risk. So we focus on on, on helping them educate their family members. Um, And we also have things like monthly webinars. We have a really comprehensive website with with free resources. We serve over 2.5 million people a year. We have... Um, a, 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 a huge social media community where we really focus on integrating the patient's voice into our free resources. So it's all about that that connection. That's great. Uh, you, yeah, I'm very impressed with everything that you provide, and I know I've been following your your website for some time, and um, yeah, grateful for the resources. So, oh, great. Um, well, I, I, I'm glad. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now that we um now I'd like to get into a little bit more details about you know what is celiac disease as we're we're talking about it today um, and does it how does it differ with like a wheat sensitivity or allergy and you know are there other gluten related orders so disorders I mean so if you could um explain what celiac disease is that would be great sure so so celiac disease is a genetic autoimmune disease that occurs in people who have a certain genetic predisposition. Um, and, and so celiac disease is linked to a number of genes, but, but, but of note, the two that people need to know about um, are called HLA-DQ2 and HLA-DQ8. About 95% of, of people with, with celiac disease will be positive for HLA-DQ2, and the remaining will be, will be positive for DQ8. Now, just because you have these genes doesn't mean that, that you go on to actually develop celiac disease. In fact, celiac disease affects just about 1% of the population. So it's, one of, so it's, very, com- it's very common. That's about 1 in 133 people. But you sort of take that and then you think about, okay, well, it, it affects family members. And, and, and then you, you look at immediate and extended families, and celiac disease affects 1 in 22 first-degree relatives and 1 in 39 second-degree relatives. So the, there's, there's this really strong um, genetic connection. And what happens in, in these people is you have to have a, a, a few things in order to get celiac disease. So, of course, you first have to have the gene. 
Number two, you have to be eating gluten, which is a protein found in wheat, barley, and rye, and then any of their derivatives. And typically, there's a trigger for for people. So what I mean by this is maybe somebody has an an infection, maybe they were pregnant, maybe they went, um, you know, to um, a different country and and came back with with, um, being sick or had that type of infection, emotional stress or severe trauma on the body. You know, as an example, Teresa, I know that one of my triggers was probably the fact that I had an eating disorder in high school. So thinking about all the trauma and and the the stress that I put my my body through, um, I can sort of connect the dots. And we hear a lot of those stories from patients from our, our community. So those are really some of the, of, of the key things you need to know about celiac disease. And when you look at it on a scale of gluten-related disorders, so gluten-related disorders is, is very much a new term. Mm-hmm. It's just come out in the past two or, th- or three years. And this is looked at as sort of like a continuum, um, if you will, where celiac disease is, is, is an autoimmune disease. So the, the the body is essentially attacking the healthy cells as a result of having a reaction to that protein. Then you have, I mean, and when we talk about a, a reaction, you really only need something as small as a crumb to get somebody sick. So what happens is when you ingest gluten, it's actually damaging your small intestine. So these villi, which are like like little um, finger-like, projections in your small intestine, they help to absorb nutrients. And people who have celiac disease aren't able to absorb any of their nutrients. So, so not getting the minerals or the vitamins or, or, or those key foods to help them thrive. And what happens is people can, can become malnourished. So, so that's celiac disease. When you look at the, you know, this continuum, there's something very new called gluten sensitivity or, or non-celiac gluten sensitivity. Mm-hmm. And that is, is thought to maybe affect about 6% of the population. That's really just a, a, a guesstimate. We don't have any prevalent studies, so it's really not wise to go around saying that X percent have gluten sensitivity. The, the research is definitely in... Um, in its infancy. What's interesting about the two, Teresa, is that you have symptoms that are essentially identical. So a physician cannot tell a person with celiac disease apart from a a person with gluten sensitivity in clinic, which makes it really hard to diagnose. So these people who have gluten sensitivity have all these symptoms, but they actually don't have the damage or the reactions internally inside their body as celiac people do. Does that make sense? Yes, that does. And I, I have heard that there are the differences that way and that, you know, we keep learning more and more, it seems like even in recent time here about that. So, yep, thank you for explaining that. And just um, we're going to break um, pretty quickly here, but I do want to ask you, we'll get around to gluten after the break, but um, okay. as we're talking about celiac, I do want to ask you, can you tell us what some of the symptoms might be? Um, yeah, so I, for absolutely. So I, I think probably the, the most important symptom for people to be aware of are, is the fact that you can you don't have to have any symptoms. So about a third of, of, of those who are diagnosed didn't have any symptoms at, at all. 
and they just notice a general improvement in their quality of life. But when you put that aside, there's really not a body organ or body system that isn't affected by celiac disease. So obviously you can have diarrhea, constipation, bloating, but a lot of of people will feel fatigued, um, just a really general malaise. Uh, Other people may have um, migraines or severe headaches. Some people have hair loss. Some people have tingling in their fingers and toes, so peripheral um, neuropathy. You can get bone disease if it's left untreated. You can be infertile if it's left untreated. You can get certain types of cancer like lymphoma. A lot of people may also be anemic. So, you know, I kind of just threw some different ones out there, and that's just to help you and your listeners understand that it really affects all parts of the body. And if they want, they can learn more about the symptoms by going online. We have a free symptoms checklist, and that's called doihaveceliac.org. Great. That'll be a great resource for people. So, yep, thank you. So we, we are going to take a short break right now. But when we come back, we'll continue to talk to Kristen about eating gluten-free. And uh, be sure to tweet Pound LNT Radio if you have a comment or question. And we look forward to talking with you in just a few moments. life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Teresa Jungling of Living Natural Today is a fierce advocate for health and wellness. She knows firsthand how one's health can be damaged as a result of toxins, stress, and an unhealthy diet. To learn more about how toxins can impact your health, please visit her website at www.livingnaturaltoday.com. Sign up to receive her free newsletter and, as her gift to you, receive a free guide chock full of useful resources, including links to real food bloggers and recipes, information on organic standards, GMOs, chemicals, recommended safe products, and much more. If you are someone who wants to minimize your exposure to toxins in and around your home or are someone who simply wants to live a more natural and healthy lifestyle, then Living Natural Today's 14-day program to better health is for you. In this 14-day program, you'll receive practical steps and recommendations that will help root out toxins in your food, home, personal care products, and more. With daily email guidance, videos, and detoxification tips, this program is sure to open your eyes and transform your health. Sign up today at livingnaturaltoday.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Living Natural Today, out with toxins, in with your health. To reach Teresa or her guests on the show, please tweet using hashtag LNT Radio. You may also send an email to radio at livingnaturaltoday.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hi, everyone. I'm Teresa Jungling. Thank you for joining us today. I'm back with my guest, Kristen Voorhees of the National Foundation for Celiac Awareness. And we're going to continue our discussion about celiac disease and also eating gluten-free. So let's jump right back into it. So, um... 
as we were coming back from commercial here, I did want to ask you, because we were talking about celiac and symptoms and, and things that go along with it, but now I want to get into the discussion about what is, when we talk gluten-free, what exactly is gluten, if you can explain that to us. Yeah, and I think that this is a, a question that is pretty popular across the country right now. A lot of, of people confuse it with things like glucose or sugar, um, and some people may be eating gluten-free you actually have no idea what it is. So I, I'm very happy to, to clarify. So gluten is actually a protein found in wheat, barley, and rye and their derivatives. So gluten is actually, it's, it's toxic to people who, who have celiac disease, um, and it's something that can be found in, you know, your, your, your common products like pastas and breads and cakes and, and cookies and, and, and crackers and beer. That's definitely something that a lot of, of men in particular think of when they're diagnosed. Um, it's found in things like soy sauce and it's found in, in things like um, certain licorice products. It can be found in salad dressings and deli meats. So there are, are places where it can be very obvious to a, a person, but then it can be very hit, hidden or somebody may just, you know, not consciously think that it, it may be in other things too. Okay. And some of the other things that, you know, I, I, you just wouldn't think of, they say ketchup sometimes, and I'm sure it's maybe with uh, vinegars or, or things like that, correct, that gluten might be found in, and then even you have to be aware of your medication too, correct? Well, well so about the, the, um, the vinegar, the one vinegar that, that people need to be aware of is malt vinegar. So malt actually comes from barley, um, but as far as, as, other, um, as other vinegars go, we actually had this, this question on, on a webinar we, we did about the, the recent FDA gluten-free labeling rule last year. And, and many people may be surprised to learn that that, 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 that vinegar is actually safe. It, it's the malt vinegar that people need to be concerned about. Okay. Okay. Yep. Does that the, make sense? The, the flavored type of, like you said, the malt vinegar. Yep. That does make sense. So, yep. Yeah. And so about um, medications, that, that's a really good question to ask because for a very long time, um, people have been concerned about, you know, what else? So it's not just food and, and beverage, right? But it's everything that, that you ingest. And so NFCA was getting a lot of anecdotal patient stories to talking about, I think that I've been glutened by my medication or my pharmacist isn't sure what, what the inactive a- a- ingredients are and I call the manufacturer and they have no information to give me. Well, NFCA was awarded a $50,000 grant from the U.S. FDA a few, a few years ago, and we're actually going to be um, releasing a public report within um, the next few months. And so the goal of that study was to really quantify, to, to, to put into an evidence-based approach what patients were experiencing. So we took a nationwide survey of over 5,000 people. And, and, and ask them about their experiences so we could figure out what drugs needed to be tested to see if there actually was even any gluten in medication or if this was all just a concern for, for people. So again, we're going to be um, releasing the findings from that report 
um, by the end of the new year. Great, great. Now, when we go gluten-free or have to eat gluten-free, can you um, give us some alternatives? Because we can still have baked goods and things like that. It just, you know, have to get rid of the gluten and the wheat. So um, can you give some alternative ingredients, the different other flours that can be used instead? Yeah, so I, I think that one of the most popular ones that that come to mind and that people are probably already familiar with now um, is quinoa. So quinoa is one. There's There are things also called tess, and that's spelled T-E-F-S. There's amaranth. Um, you can use nut flours. You can use coconut flour. You can use things like soy flour. There are a lot of different alternatives that people can can have um, in their products. You can also use rice flour or potato flour or potato starch. I think one of the the most important things to be aware of when you're buying gluten-free grains or gluten-free flours is a study a few years ago found that gluten-free grains that, that um, you know, like quinoa, may have a higher chance of, of coming into contact with gluten-containing grains during the milling process or during the growing process or during um, in manufacturing. And so it's really recommended that people who have celiac disease, so people who, who require this lifelong, strict, medically necessary gluten-free diet, try to buy, whenever possible, products that are labeled gluten-free. So make sure that, that, that grains you buy or grain-based flours you buy are labeled gluten-free. Um, that sort of just sends a message to the consumer that the manufacturer is taking it seriously. Okay, and that sort of leads me to the the next question that I was going to ask, and that is in regards to, um, well, there's a couple questions I was going to ask about this, but the first one is uh, gluten cross-contamination. And I know that there can be issues at the home, you know, with when you're cooking at home, that there could be cross-contamination, but then also at restaurants when you're out and about. So if you can... Um, address that, maybe give some tips to people when they're at restaurants or even cooking at home to avoid that cross-contamination? Absolutely. So I think one of, of, the, of the, the, the first points, Teresa, is, is to really clarify what we mean by cross-contact and what we mean by cross-contamination. So okay. if we can j- just um, step back for a minute. Cross-contact actually refers to, to gluten-containing foods to touching or being exposed to gluten-free foods. So that's the term that we encourage our community to use, and that's what, um, what we use. Cross-contamination, on the other hand, refers to foods that have been exposed to harmful bacteria or microorganisms and can most often be killed away with heat to eliminate that threat. So this is probably all very, very specific and, and detailed, and listeners may be going, wow, that, that, that's too much information for me. Mm-hmm. But what they need to know is, for example, when dining out, it's really important to, to use the right language to talk to your server, to talk to a chef, and that's to use the, the term cross-contact because gluten is not something that can just be, you know, brushed away or killed off um, with heat. It, that, that's just not possible. Right, and sometimes I read, like, I guess with the um, cross-contamination would be with oats because oats does not have gluten in it, correct? But is there sometimes possible cross-contamination with that? or So, um, and that's actually the cross-contact. So that would be the cross-contact. When, okay. when you think about oats, right, you think about um, a food product that is naturally, inherently gluten-free. 
Um, however, it's one of those examples where in that growing process within the mills and the manufacturing, they can be um, they, they, they can be found along with wheat, barley, and rye. And I believe that there's also some some legislation within the USDA or, or FDA um, that, that points to there can actually be a cross-mingling of grains. So technically, they're actually legally allowed to have that. So, so people who have, have celiac disease need to be aware that, that, that if they're going to be eating oats, they need to make sure that, that they're labeled gluten-free, that they're certified um, gluten-free, and they really sh- should be doing that under the direction of, of a knowledgeable di- dietitian or physician because not everybody with celiac disease can tolerate oats. About 1% to 5% of, of, of people with celiac disease actually cannot tolerate tolerate them at all. Okay. Okay. The other question that I did want to ask um, in regards to your answer was about the labeling. And we know that a a few months back in August, um, the FDA provided a a gluten-free labeling rule. Can you um, explain to us what that is? Yeah. So um, the the FDA actually came uh, along with the compliance with with their gluten-free labeling rule this past August. The rule was actually announced in August 2013. And so over um, the course of of a year, that gave manufacturers and the food industry time to, you know, to implement best practices and and, and get ready. Um, This was a huge accomplishment for our field, Teresa. You know, it took more than, 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 I think, nine years for this to become a reality. The, the Food Allergen Labeling Consumer Protection Act, which was out in 2004, which most people will probably understand, um, defined the, the top eight allergens. So that's what you see on, on a package when it says contains wheat or contains egg or, or something like that. Um, the gluten-free labeling rule came out of that. So it was more than nine years in the making, and and this was a huge plus for us because it helped to give us a platform to stand on to help take gluten-free seriously. So now we we have this rule, and and there are a few different components to it, Um, but probably the the number one most important component people need to understand is that if a product is now labeled gluten-free, it, it must contain less than 20 parts, parts per million. And that's considered to be a safe threshold for people with celiac disease. Um, the rule is actually voluntary, and it doesn't require manufacturers to, to test for gluten. So those are some, some interesting points about um, about. The, the, the labeling rule that it's important for the consumer and patient community to be aware of. Okay, and then that's different from the gluten-free certification program, correct? Oh, absolutely. Okay. So, um, yeah. So the gluten-free certification program is actually um, a program that NFCA endorses. So, it, so last July we formed an alliance with, with something called the gluten-free certification program. And, and, and we helped to launch the first joint gluten-free certification program um, endorsed by leading celiac disease organizations in North America. So that program provides consumer 
guidance and protection by differentiating certified products from, you know, other gluten-free claims in, in the marketing in the marketplace. Since being so, the best way to describe it is that you can think of of, of certifying bodies as taking an, an extra step of of precaution by helping to test for for gluten. The the FDA labeling rule does not require manufacturers to test. Okay. Okay. Yep. Thank you for the clarification there. You're welcome. Um, getting back to celiac disease, it, now there is no treatment, correct, for celiac? Well, well do you mean a pharmaceutical t- treatment? Right. Other than right. yes, right. keeping there the diet. There is no pharmaceutical t- t- treatment right now. The only treatment we have is a 100% lifelong strict gluten-free diet. We do have a couple of, of drugs um, in clinical trials right now, which is very exciting for our field. But at the moment, um, our patients and community must rely on staying gluten-free for the rest of their life. Okay. And then you had mentioned before, too, that um, having celiac disease does put you at a, even a little bit of higher risk for having other autoimmune diseases. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Um, there are... Um, Certain ages um, that it's that that there are certain ages associated with celiac disease that if you're diagnosed by or not di- diagnosed but, but by rather that that put you at, at a further increased risk for developing other autoimmune diseases. So one of the the autoimmune diseases that that um, is most closely linked to celiac disease is autoimmune thyroid um, disease. Mm. Okay. Okay. And, and then, you, know, you think about autoimmune diseases, and they tend to, to, to form in clusters. So it's common for, for people, you know, to have more than one. Okay. That's what I deal with. So, yep. <laughs> it's all, like you said, interrelated. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. And, and, um, and women are, um, and autoimmune diseases occur more often in, in, in women, too. Okay. Yep. Okay. And then... You would, we discussed testing in the first segment a little bit about specific tests that can be run, but is it, it's true too that sometimes your tests can come back negative and there's still a possibility, correct? That you have an issue? Yeah. So, so, um, you know, first things first, if someone's going to, to be tested for celiac disease, they need to be sure that they are on a regular gluten containing diet. It is so important that people understand that they must not change their diet before going to their doctor or, or getting that, that, that test. Right. When they go to the doctor, they can request the test. It's called a, a TPG. Um, and, and we have information on, on our website. Um, again, I would encourage people to go to celiaccentral.org and they can find out all about the right testing and the diagnosis process. But it's really a blood test. That, that, that can um, initiate the process. Um, that's not the only step. You do need to have a biopsy of your small intestine to see if you do have, have celiac disease. Um, but there are about a small percent of, of people, I think it's something like 5% of people who will truly have celiac disease but will not test positive with their blood test. And then for gluten sensitivity... You know, to, to add on another confusing layer for, for your listeners and, and patients mm-hmm. is people with gluten sensitivity will actually test negative 
for celiac disease and wheat allergy. And that's how you diagnose gluten sensitivity is by going through an elimination process. Okay. And I think it's important to mention too, for those who are trying to follow a gluten-free diet, you know, it is medically related. Some people start following a gluten-free diet without, you know, needing to do that, correct? And that, that's not recommended, like you said. Oh, absolutely. Um, that's that's yeah. a really big, big, big challenge we have now is, is self-diagnosis. And I could probably go on for, for forever about why self-diagnosis can be really harmful. Um, but first and foremost, people need to understand that the gluten-free diet is actually a medical necessity. It's not a fad. Not a waste, it's not a weight loss diet. It's not going to give you, you know, brighter skin or better hair. Um, in fact, eating gluten-free baked goods and, and all those alternative products, that, that they can actually make you gain weight because they have more fat, sugar, calories. So gluten-free is, is absolutely 100% a medical um, necessity for people with a gluten-related disorder. Okay. And then... Um, moving along into the gluten-free um, food to eat again at, at restaurants and dining out. Now, you provide um, resources and guides through your website, correct, that helps with that, um, yes. finding restaurants yeah. and things like that, correct? We have a program called Great, Great Kitchens. Again, that's gluten-free resource education, awareness, and training. Um, and Great Kitchens, we work with different chef ambassadors to actually spread the word across the, the country to put best best practices in the front of house with servers and, and the back of house so people can eat out safely and won't have to worry about cross-contact. Okay. They can learn more about that on our website. And we also have a dining tip sheet that can help the consumer ask the right questions when they're out to eat. Okay. And then... On your website, too, are there other types of support or resources that you provide? Um, you had mentioned like webinars and, and you have events, correct, and, and further education, things like that on your website? Yeah, so we, um, we, are, we, we rely on digital media, on social media. We have a very large national platform, um, and, and all of the, the, the tools and resources on our website are free. So that's first and foremost. I would encourage people to check out our monthly webinars. We have one every month. We're going to have two um, next month, one on November 6th. That's going to talk about gluten-free myths when it comes to products and ingredients. So, so for, for anybody who's, who's interested in, in, in that part of, of the, the diet, I would encourage that. And then to your earlier point, Teresa, about autoimmune diseases, we're actually going to be talking about the different effects celiac disease can have on the body on November 13th, and that's also going to be another webinar. Okay. And then is there other ways, I, I did notice on your website, to become involved in supporting the work that you're doing there? Um, you mentioned, you know, you can always, of course, use donations and volunteering and advocacy, and, and, and even you mentioned sharing your story. So um, can you yeah. expound on how people can share their story? Is it? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, well, um, do donations are obviously very important for a, non a nonprofit organization, and we have volunteers all the time. So I would encourage people to go to celiaccentral.org to learn about that. But when you're on our website, you can actually also submit your own personal story. So we know that there's power in the patient's voice and that patients can help um, spread awareness and spread education. And so we, we always accept 
people's personal stories, and, and that's also on our website. And then we segment them out by different symptoms or different experiences to really put that person's life into context. Okay. Yep. And I, I would encourage people to, 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 to follow us on Facebook if they're not already. Right. Right. So, okay, great. Well, it's, we're already coming to the end of our segment. Um, the time goes by fast, but I do appreciate you coming on for our um the show today. And, and, you know, it's like I said, it's time for us to take a break. So I want to thank Kristen Voorhees for joining me today. And I've enjoyed speaking to you today about gluten-free and, and celiac disease. It's just so important to get the word out to everybody about this. So um, everyone don't go away though, because coming up, we're going to talk about some current events. You're listening to Living Natural Today, Out with Toxins and with your health on Voice America Radio. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. If you are someone who wants to minimize your exposure to toxins in and around your home, or are someone who simply wants to live a more natural and healthy lifestyle, then Living Natural Today's 14-day program to better health is for you. In this 14-day program, you'll receive practical steps and recommendations that'll help root out toxins in your food, home, personal care products, and more. With daily email guidance, videos, and detoxification tips, this program is sure to open your eyes and transform your health. Sign up today at livingnaturaltoday.com. Teresa Jungling of Living Natural Today is a fierce advocate for health and wellness. She knows firsthand how one's health can be damaged as a result of toxins, stress, and an unhealthy diet. To learn more about how toxins can impact your health, please visit her website at www.livingnaturaltoday.com. Sign up to receive her free newsletter and, as her gift to you, receive a free guide chock full of useful resources, including links to real food bloggers and recipes, information on organic standards, GMOs, chemicals, recommended safe products, and much more. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Living Natural Today, out with toxins, in with your health. To reach Teresa or her guests on the show, please tweet using hashtag LNTRadio. You may also send an email to radio at livingnaturaltoday.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back as we continue at Living Natural Today out with toxins and with your host, or your health, I'm sorry, I'm your host, Teresa Jungling. Today we've been talking about eating gluten-free and, and celiac disease, and now I want to get into some current events. And as usual, there's, there's quite a bit going on. Um, but as always, as I recommend, you know, be sure to follow me on Facebook and Twitter and, and Google+, Plus as I constantly try to share articles with you and, and those resources and, and try to keep you on top of what's going on regarding toxins in our health. Um, you can find those links to my social media accounts by going to my website, livingnaturaltoday.com. And as we were speaking about eating gluten-free today, I also just want to throw out a tidbit and encourage you to visit my website, again, at livingnaturaltoday.com for some resources to help you eat gluten-free. Um, 
if you go under um, the menu on food at the drop down, there's a gluten free menu item, and you can find some blog posts and different things that I've written in the past, and and sharing um, different apps and websites that have been developed, which help you find gluten free restaurants and food when you're traveling. Because I know that that can, um, I, I personally know how difficult that that might be when you are traveling to find gluten free alternatives. So. Um, I've also, since we're coming up to Halloween, I in the past have listed some gluten-free candy options. So you can go out there and check that. But I do advise, as always, please read the packaging to determine which candy is the most appropriate for your family, depending on their sensitivities. And and also, you know, since those posts have been written, ingredients might have changed. So always double-check the ingredients again. And, and you might even want to call the manufacturer, um, their 1-800 number, or visit their website to get the most current information. And... Um, just as a side note to being a non-GMO person, um, you might want to look for candy that is non-GMO. I, I know that some of that's difficult, but if you can find gluten-free non-GMO candy, that would be great. Um, I do want to also mention for, for Halloween coming up here that um, Mike Guest, he's, I'm sorry, a previous guest, Mike Shade of Safe for Chemicals Healthy Families, sent out information regarding a new study released by HealthyStuff.org. And it's finding elevated levels of toxic chemicals in popular Halloween costumes, accessories, and even the trick-or-treat bags. Uh, dangerous chemicals like things like phylates and flame retardants and, and vinyl, PVC plastic, and, and even lead. Um, they attested 106 types of Halloween gear for chemicals linked to asthma, birth defects, learning disabilities, reproductive problems, uh, liver toxicity, and cancer. And the products were purchased from, from some top national retailers, including CVS, Kroger, Party City, Target, Walmart, and Walgreens. So he is asking us, and he is the head of the Mind the Store um, there at Safer Chemicals Healthy Families, he's asking us to take action and to tell these uh, nation biggest retailers that the chemicals, they're, they're too spooky for anyone, especially our kids. So if you go to their website at saferchemicals.org, you'll get more information about this. And there's also a letter that he has um, put together to um, send to the large retailer citing our concerns with these chemicals and, and all of the costumes and things like that. So following along with the uh, Halloween theme, since it's right around the corner here, I do want to remind you, and I know I've mentioned this on a previous episode, about a campaign for Halloween, um, but it does bear mentioning it again. It's called the Teal Pumpkin Project, and it's an effort of the Food Allergy Research and Education Organization, and teal is the color of food allergy awareness. And food allergies can be life-threatening and affect about 1 in 13 children in the United States. And um, what they're doing is they're encouraging homeowners to place a teal-painted pumpkin and sign outside their door if they're offering any non-food treats. And some of those non-food treats include uh, bracelets or necklaces, pencils, markers, boxes of crayons, erasers, uh, bubbles, bouncy balls, and stickers. Um, those would also be good gluten-free um, non-GMO options too, but organizers say homeowners can still give out candy too, but they should be in a separate bowl for the non-food treats. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for organizations like this and, and for uh, Kristen's organization as they're bringing more awareness to food allergies and and then also the gluten-free lifestyle. So I did uh, put a post out on my blog, so if you can find more information about this campaign at livingnaturaltoday.com. Also want to make you aware of something that just happened um, find out what's really in our food. The Environmental Working Group's groundbreaking release of their e EWG food scores, Rate Your Plate, is now available, which is going to be cool. So um, the EWG says that this is the most comprehensive food database available today. And according to the EWG, 
uh, you'll be astounded to see how some of your favorite foods rank and, and even how truly ubiquitous su- sugar is across uh, supermarket shelves. So what they did is they rated uh, more than 80,000 products and 5,000 ingredients from 1,500 brands on three criteria. The criteria were nutrition, ingredient concerns, and degree of processing. They combine uh, the three scores into a single overall product score, and they weigh uh, uh, the food's nutritional value most heavily, ingredient concerns next, and processing relatively lightly. So you can look up a product, you can search by a company, search by category, and you can even find better alternatives by doing this. So once you're into their um, section on their website, you click on a product, you'll see dials displaying how it stacks up in each of um, these three different scoring factors. You'll also see a bar chart uh, showing how these factors are combined into a single overall score. And then if you click further, you'll be able to find more detailed information about a particular product's uh, how score was determined, how it was determined. And you can also see how the product rates in comparison to other products in the same category. So I strongly encourage you to visit um, the Environmental Working Group's website. It's EWG, ewg.org. And because they provide a lot of great tools and, and databases to, to help us. And, and of course, as I mentioned um, on a regular basis, you know, each one of us can make a difference in our food as we vote with our, our dollars. And, you know, food manufacturers, they're, they're listening when, when money is at stake. So, um, you know, this is a great tool and, and um, maybe even change some of your buying habits that you have. The next thing I want to make you aware of is um, a vote that's coming up here. And we've discussed this previously on uh, when I spoke about GMOs um, in past episodes, but Oregon and Colorado are both coming up on a, a GMO labeling uh, vote. So Oregon's it's measured 92 in Colorado Prop 105. They're citizen-led ballot initiatives that, if passed, will require mandatory labeling of GMOs in both of these states. And actually, um, you know, since since the elections next week, they're they're going hard with it right now. And, and today I actually received an email again from the Yes on 92 team in Oregon saying, with hours left to go until the final ad by deadline of the campaign, we just learned that agrochemical mega corps Monsanto, PepsiCo, and Dow have combined to pour in another $2.32 million. And they're trying to crush the GMO labeling in Oregon. And, and even in addition to that, DuPont's um, donated another $4.6 million. So it's just, it, this is the biggest political contribution in, in Oregon's history. So these companies, they're, they're making a profit from selling GMOs unlabeled, and they're pouring all this late money um, into this campaign for two reasons. Uh, one, they're, they're terrified that what will happen to their corporate profits if, if Measure 92 passes, and they think their uh, timing means that the non-GMO people won't have time to fight back. So... Um, it's important to, to, to be aware of what's going on here. And I'm sure that in those states you're getting bombarded by, by ads, but um, just we need to support these campaigns and, and for more information on each of the, these, cause you know, the races they say at a dead heat right now. So we need to spread the word about GMO labeling in, in both Colorado and Oregon. So um, go to right to know Colorado.org or Oregon right to know.org and make sure you get out and, and vote and, um, spread the word about, about voting too. So, and as I spoke about GMOs and I've talked in the past, this is non-GMO month. So it's a great time to learn and educate yourself about GMOs. Um, we're winding down to the end of October, but, but be sure to, to educate yourself about this. So we're coming up to the close of our, our program. So thank you for listening in. And 
Again, I, I would like to thank our guest today, Christine Borges of the National Foundation for Celiac Awareness. And Kristen can be found, again, at celiaccentral.org. I recommend that website. I'd also like to invite you to visit my website at livingnaturaltoday.com and download your free resource guide about minimizing toxins. And I hope you'll join me next week as I will be interviewing the renowned Dr. Joel Wallach. Until then, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health. See you next week. Thank you for joining Teresa Jungling for this week's edition of Living Natural Today, out with toxins, in with your health. Please tune in again next Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week.